Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here today. We've been in this uh, sermon series, What to Do When You Messed Up. And that's a pretty relevant question this morning, because I bet if I were to ask you this morning, have you messed up this week? You probably would say, uh, yeah, it's been quite a week, Bart. I've definitely messed up. Uh, Nick and Jeff, over the first two weeks, they shared about some of their failures. So I'd love to recap those just for this morning. Uh, Nick talked about how he was uh, gutting and renovating a bathroom just a short time before his second child was supposed to be born. And unfortunately, he didn't get it done. And so, you know, we're three weeks into the series. I'm going to have to check it out, see how things are coming along with the bathroom, but I bet it's still in the same shape it was in before. Uh, Jeff shared that as he was a kid, when he was a kid, he was a perpetual drink spiller, which means like, you know, wherever he went, whether it was restaurant, car, if he had a drink with him, he said it ended up on the floor every single time. And the bad thing is he never repented to his parents uh, for being a serial drink spiller. So I guess it's... uh, Time this morning for me to fess up, time for me to own some mistakes. I think if you were to ask me, you know, what my biggest failure is, I would probably say that I work too hard and I care too much. That's a joke this morning, y'all. That's not my biggest failure. You know, if I'm going to really relate, you know, Nick, I can relate to you. I've got a front porch, a back porch that I've been uh, trying to stain for like six months now. still not done. Uh, Jeff, I can relate to you a little bit. Uh, When I was a teenager, my grandmother had this beautiful white carpet, and she was painting the walls, and there was an open can of paint on the floor, and I stepped on it and spilled an entire gallon of paint on my grandmother's new white carpet. I still think she's in heaven somewhere really mad at me still to this day. Uh, So yeah, I've messed up. But for real, the reason we talk about these somewhat funny examples is that it's far too difficult far too painful, far too hurtful, far too embarrassing to face this many people in the room and talk about all the times that I've really messed up. Times I'm ashamed to admit of how I've reacted or how I've been in my relationship with God or how I've been with other people and treated other people. Moments I would love to just take back and do over. But where do we turn in those moments when we really mess up, when we really make a mistake? That's what this series is all about. And we're talking about four R's during this series. The first one Nick talked about was recognize that we've sinned against God. Confess that we are broken sinners in need of mercy. Own our mistakes and the role that we've played in our failures. We don't let sin grow in the dark. We confess it and we take ownership of it. And then Jeff talked about last week, the second R, which is repent. Now, repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind about our sin. It's a a brokenness, a godly sorrow over our sin that we've offended a God who is holy and perfect. You know, repentance is not perfection, but it is a change in direction in our lives. And this morning, we're going to talk about the third R, reconcile. Reconciliation is the process of restoring a relationship that's been broken, And we have two problems when it comes to reconciliation. One is that our sin separates us relationally from God. But two, sin also affects our relationship with other people and distorts and breaks our relationship with others. 
This morning, I want to talk about the great lengths that God has gone to reconcile our relationship with him, but I also want to focus on how serious it is and how seriously he takes reconciliation with other people. See, behind all of our messes, behind all of our mistakes, behind all of our sin is a wake of broken relationships, brokenness and hurt and conflict with the people around us. It probably doesn't take long for you to think about some relationships that have been strained in your life, either by mistakes that you've made or mistakes that somebody else made, or probably most likely a combination of both. Maybe it's a family member you don't speak with, a coworker that you ignore, a teenager that always seems to have something against you, a spouse that feels distant and cold, a friend that has abandoned you. I imagine if I were to ask you, there's a lot of hurt in this room this morning over broken relationships. And you may be wondering if reconciliation is even possible, if it could ever happen. I'm here to tell you this morning that you can be reconciled, that there is hope, even though it's not an easy road. The good news this morning is that the message of the gospel is a message of reconciliation. Turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 18, and Paul writes this. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. God is the author of reconciliation. Verse 18 says, everything's from him. He took the initiative to reconcile his broken relationship with us. Our sinful choices led us to be at odds with our creator. We ran away, we hid in shame, we rebelled against us, and sin separated us from God, and our relationship with him is broken. But God sent Jesus on this rescue mission to forgive us of our sins and to reconcile us to him, to repair that relationship that was broken. What we've been talking about about the past couple of weeks is that when we recognize and confess our sins and we repent of our sin and turn towards Jesus, what results is our forgiveness. That is, our debt to God because of our sin was canceled. It was paid for by Jesus' own blood. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin on himself. Forgiveness is the releasing of a debt. It literally means the sending away of an offense. But forgiveness and reconciliation are different. Reconciliation is the restoration of the relationship. So God, as our judge, has forgiven us. He dropped the charges against us. But God, as our father, and God, as our friend, he welcomed us back into relationship with him. It says here, he did not count our trespasses against us relationally. See, the incredible result of our reconciliation with God is that we can do what we did this morning. We can have fellowship with him. We can pray to him boldly. But we can worship him freely. But we are united with Christ. We've been adopted into his family. That is reconciliation. But that's not all. According to 2 Corinthians 5.18, you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That word ministry is really interesting. It's the word diakonia, which we get the same word deacon from. And it literally means acts of service. 
And so one of the defining characteristics of every believer in this room, one of the defining characteristics of us is that we actively engage in the process of reconciliation. We should all be reconcilers. First, it says, by sharing the gospel message that God has reconciled men through Jesus. As soon as you are reconciled in your relationship with Christ, you are enrolled and enlisted in his mission to share that message with other people to help others be reconciled to God just like you were. But also we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and how we relate to other people. Not holding grudges, not canceling others, not ghosting someone because they disagreed with us or they did something we didn't like, not gossiping uh, against someone and destroying their reputation, but being a peacemaker, being a reconciler. How do we do that? How do you reconcile with one another? Is reconciliation possible with the people that we've hurt or the people we've betrayed or the people we've abandoned, the people we've disagreed with or the other way around? Is reconciliation possible when they've hurt us or wronged us? Here's the big idea for this morning I want you to hear. Reconciliation is possible, but I also want you to know that it is a process. It is a process. This morning, I want to give you five steps toward reconciliation, how you can be a reconciler this morning. One is you make the first move. You make the first move. Matthew chapter five, we're going to be skipping around a lot this morning, so have your Bible app out, you know, take a look at the screens here. Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what he says in verse 21. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this series of statements. And he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And what he's doing is he's contrasting the religious leader's interpretation of the law with his own. And he's saying, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. But what I tell you is, no, for citizens of God's kingdom, we must also not murder someone in anger in our hearts. What he's doing is saying, look, you're focusing on the external behavior, but I want to get inside. I want to get into heart transformation. It's not enough to just follow the law externally. I want your heart to be transformed as a citizen of God's kingdom. And you can't do that on your own. So they would say, for example, you should not commit adultery. But Jesus says, no, I tell you, you even look at another woman lustfully, then you've sinned. In other words, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus was pointing out how we may think we're righteous, but our hearts need transformation in order to be a people that reflect his kingdom. And this section directly deals with our relationship with other people. Someone whose heart has been transformed by the gospel should not let their anger become sin. They should not insult or curse people who are made in the image of God. And then lastly, even if you're in the middle of worship and you're bringing your offering and you remember that your brother has something against you, 
you know you've, they've brought an offense or you know you've messed up or you know you've hurt them. In God's kingdom, you make the first move. Take the initiative to bring reconciliation. Take the first step. And get this, not just when you've caused the wrong, but also when others have wronged you. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if, something, if you have something against your brother, go to him in private. So when we merge these two passages, passages together, we see this incredibly powerful dynamic that when we've offended someone else, we should go. And then when someone else has offended us, we should go. You make the first move. Is it fair? No. Is it easy? No. But is it Christ-like? Yes. You make the first move. Jesus says it's so important to us this morning that it's more important than what we're doing here in worship. And so if I see you walking out during the last song, I'm not gonna assume that you're just like heading to lunch early. I'm gonna assume you're going to reconcile with a brother and sister today. Jesus also says, not only should you make the first move, but you should have a sense of urgency about it. Go, leave immediately. Therefore, very quick, very soon, you should have an urgency about dealing with conflict, which brings us to process number two here, deal with relational conflict quickly. Deal with relational conflict quickly. We need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to handling when we've wronged someone or someone's wronged us. Why? Because the phrase, time heals all wounds, doesn't really apply when it comes to conflict. A little bit of time is helpful. It's helpful in allowing emotions to calm down. It's helpful in us processing how we're feeling. It's helpful for us in in making a resolve to make peace. But if you allow conflict to linger too long, it can grow like a piece of mold on a piece of bread. When you wash clothes, they smell good for a little while, but you leave those clothes in the washer too long, and what happens? They start to stink. So the Bible gives us a healthy guideline. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. What does it say? Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now, husbands and wives, I've I've learned this the hard way. If you're fighting at 10 p.m., don't stay up all night and try to resolve the conflict before the next morning. It's not going to go well for you. But what we have here is a general principle of not letting a day go by before being willing to confess, repent, seek forgiveness, pursue reconciliation when you're angry with someone. Delaying reconciliation almost always makes it harder to reconcile. For one, you just wake up uh, without the same passion to make the relationship right. Uh, Time may allow you to even just stop caring about the other person or stop caring about the problem altogether. Or maybe you just feel like after so much time has passed, it's just a a little too awkward to go to that person and reconcile. Don't wait too long. When we allow offenses to linger, the devil has an opportunity to drive a wedge between two people. He has an opportunity to turn anger into bitterness, an opportunity for, for conflict to turn into a grudge and for a grudge to just grow this chasm between you and someone else. Deal with it quickly and deal with it urgently. Third, be honest and admit when you're at fault. Be honest and admit when you're at fault. Same passage, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven. What does Jesus say in verse one? 
Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now, there are a ton of misunderstandings about this passage, and we often use it the wrong way. It's not wrong to lovingly help our brother get a harmful speck from his eye. It's it's wrong to self-righteously point out a speck in your brother's eye and ignore the, like it's no big deal, the big giant log that's protruding from your own. Jesus is warning us to judge at our own risk. He means to give us some serious pause and examine ourselves before we go and speak to someone else in truth and in love. He knows our tendency towards pride. He knows that we tend to judge ourselves more leniently and we judge others more strictly. He knows we often ignore our own offenses but harp on someone else's. Satan knows, Jesus knows too, that we need to handle relational conflict with honest and open attitudes about our actions. Don't sugarcoat what you did. Use I statements, not you statements when handling conflict. Don't cast blame and be defensive. Accept responsibility for what you contributed to the problem. Even if you didn't start the dispute, your lack of understanding, your careless words, your impatience, your failure to respond in a loving manner may have aggravated the situation that you're in. So this is not to suggest or promote the idea that, uh, of equal blame for all situations. Every situation is different, and all parties are not always equally to, equally to blame, but own any part that you had to play. Take responsibility for your actions. You're the only thing that you can control. You can't control someone else. Fourth step in finding reconciliation with others is listen for their hurt and perspective. In premarital counseling with couples, I I often teach that we can handle conflict in some unhealthy ways. And I love to use animals to help us remember what that's all about. And so some of us are like skunks this morning. See, you back a skunk into a corner and it's going to spray everywhere. There's collateral damage all over the place. Everyone around a skunk knows that they're angry and they're upset. They just blow up and everything stinks for like the next five days. Skunks want everyone to know that they're standing and they're ready to fight. In my life, that often looks like a fight to win mentality. I'm often guilty of this. It's not about understanding when I argue. Sometimes it's about purely winning the argument. And so I'll often, you know, get into a conflict with my wife and she'll look at me and she'll go, I'm not going to argue with you today. You just want to argue and win. So you might as well be quiet because we're not going to get into this this morning, today, whatever. Others of us are like turtles. Turtles, whenever conflict comes, what do they do? They shrink back into their shell. They get passive. Uh, They yield. Uh, Sometimes a turtle's in the middle of the road in a shell pretending like, you know, there's no car zooming around them at 60 miles per hour. They're just content to sit there and ignore the trouble. The problem is avoiding conflict or yielding all the time doesn't make conflict go away. It doesn't work. 
And sometimes a turtle has had so much and it's built up so much and it's had enough that they, what do they do? They just snap at you. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, they snap. Others of you are not like skunks and you're not like turtles, but you're like cats. Cats are passive aggressive. You know, you, you can wrong a cat and then you leave the house and you think everything's totally fine until you've come home and what have they done? They've peed in your bed and they've shredded your couch. I don't like cats, so I can compare them to that. Passive aggressive. Most of us are probably skirtle cats. <laughs> Depending on whether we've messed up or it's someone else or whether it's our family or work, we can respond to conflict in any different way. Now, what does healthy resolution look like? Someone said, what animal are you going to compare it to in the last service part? And I was like, ah, oh, I didn't have an animal. But now that I think of it, it's like a dog. You know, you can hurt a dog, but all they want to do is come back to you wagging their tail and they want to restore the relationship. So what does healthy resolution look like? It's not fighting just to fight and win. It's not ignoring the conflict and pretending like it's going to go away. It's not being passive aggressive. Healthy conflict resolution begins with listening and understanding. So first, you have to slow down. Slow down. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Remember that God gave you, what, two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's what my mom used to say. Ask more questions and try to understand the perspective of the other person. Be slow to anger. Be patient with one another. Listen for their hurt and their perspective on the problem. Anger is often referred to as a secondary emotion. It comes as a result of another issue behind the scenes. When you're angered by someone or someone is angry at you, try to get to the bottom of what it's really all about. Maybe it's emotional hurt, embarrassment, the feeling of rejection. Maybe it's just frustration at the bottom of the, of the problem. Maybe it's fear that's motivating the anger. Maybe it's physical pain and it's just been a really hard day or maybe they're facing a sickness that's causing their emotions to go all over the place. Maybe it's just injustice and sin and they're righteous to be angry and you just need to fess up and own it. Listen to understand, not to just fix the problem. Healthy conflict resolution begins with listening and understanding. And then lastly, the last step in the process of reconciliation it's to do what you can to make peace. Do what you can to make peace. This may be the most difficult step in the entire process. What action is needed by me in order to make this situation right? Start by asking for forgiveness and being quick to offer forgiveness. Sometimes God may be calling you just to overlook the offense. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's insight gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense. After gaining some insight, sometimes the best thing to do is to look at the other person and laugh about it. Maybe sometimes the best thing you can do is just to agree to disagree. Just get over the offense. Or maybe you need to really take some action steps to rebuild trust in the relationship. The fruit of genuine repentance is always action. I think about Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus meets Jesus and comes to Christ. 
But he's been cheating people out of their money. And so what does he do? He gives up half his resources to the poor and he pays back people four times what he owed them. That was his next step toward reconciliation. When Paul deals with the conflict between Onesimus, who was a slave and he ran away and stole money from Philemon in the book of Philemon, Paul challenges Onesimus to go back to where he fled from and return. But listen, he also challenges Philemon because it's wrong to have possessed a slave in the first place. And he says, look, Philemon, don't take out vengeance, accept him back, but accept him as a free man and as a brother in Christ. See, those two action steps help build the bridge that restored a broken relationship. What bridges do you need to build in relationships this morning? What action steps might you take to rebuild trust in a relationship that's broken? Now, you need to know that when you confront sin, it doesn't always end very well. In fact, when you address someone's sin and their only response is blaming someone else or minimizing their sin or uh, their response is defensive, it means the other person's not repentant. And you may have to step back from the relationship, at least for a time. You've done what God's called you to do. There, there's a biblical mandate for forgiveness. That's between you and God. Releasing that person to God's judgment, to his vindication, uh, releasing the debt that that person owes you, you know, that's not optional for the believer. I tried to find a loophole, it wasn't in there. It's not optional for us to, to forgive. But the reconciliation of the relationship is a two-way street. It's a two-way street and it's not always possible. Perhaps that's why Paul writes in Romans 12, 18, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Only God can change someone's heart. So we do our part and we seek reconciliation and we model Christ's example for the people around us and we pray and then we seek reconciliation and we model Christ's example for the people around us and we pray and we ask God to move and we try to make peace. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's all we can do. We can only control what we can control. I want to have a hopeful spirit this morning when it comes to reconciliation. But there are cases, and I need you to know, where restoration of a relationship might not be wise. I'm not asking you to stay and keep reconciling with an abuser or someone who's done something so hurtful to you that your safety and your well-being are at stake or where someone has taken advantage of you and your grace and your reconciliation over and over and over and over again and only hurt you and never committed to genuine repentance and change. I'm not asking you to expose yourself or your family to harm by reconciling immediately with that kind of person. There is a road to forgiveness in these circumstances but it may not be wise to walk the road of reconciliation of the relationship. This is where wise biblical counsel from people that you trust who know the Lord is really helpful. But in other, let's say just more common, or sometimes though equally as hurtful situations of conflict, here's the question for you though. Who might be God be calling you to initiate reconciliation with today? Some of you want nothing more than that in your life this morning, to find reconciliation with a family member or a friend or a coworker. But are you willing to make the first step?
Are you willing to do it urgently? Are you willing to admit your mistakes and where you've been wrong? Are you willing to listen for their hurt and perspective? And are you willing to do whatever it takes to make peace? I'm gonna ask our band to come up this morning, but I wanna end with a story of reconciliation. World War I had just began months before and uh, fighting on the Western Front between German and Allied forces was intensifying, and so everything moved towards trench warfare, and so the Germans, they dug in, and they dug trenches and a system of trenches all along the Western Front, and the Allied forces, they dug trenches, and in between these two trenches was an area called No Man's Land, where no one would go on, but on Christmas Eve in 1914, something startling happened. German soldiers began singing Silent Night in German, and men on the other side of the Great Divide joined along in English. Soldiers who hours before had been attempting to kill one another were now singing together about the wonder of Christ's birth. As the night and the singing continued, the soldiers emerged out of their trenches to join one another in no man's land, where they exchanged gifts, they shared in burial services, and they even played a game of soccer together. An estimated 100,000 soldiers along the Western Front laid down their weapons all that night and all the next day. In subsequent years, their commanders would force them and demand that they continue fighting on Christmas Day. But in this one sacred moment in 1914, the reminder that Jesus came into the world to bring peace brought two enemies together in a ceasefire. Even though that peace was temporary, here's what it reminded me of this morning. What I want to remind you of today, only the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to put love in our hearts where hate once existed. Only the gospel makes thoughtless, self-absorbed people like you and me begin to be tender and compassionate toward the people who we've hurt or the people who've hurt us. Only the gospel can repair and restore broken relationships. Let's pray together.